Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. Charles W. Chuck Bryant's warming up, getting ready to uh, carry this jam out to its conclusion. I was literally stretching. I know. So. As if, you know, well, I was telling everyone else, not you. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> yeah. People out there in podcast land. Yeah. Who I was just speaking to. Yeah. How is everybody? Great. Oh. I was insane. Man, yeah. I need to get used to this. It's been a while. It has been, but it feels good to be back in the saddle. Yeah. My saddle still smells like me. Gross? Yeah, it's pretty gross. Like leather and cheese? Yeah, but it, <laughs> I found it has staying power. Nice. Um, so you doing good? Yes. In the last like six months, nothing big's changed? Two weeks. It's been longer than that, hasn't it? A little vacation. Yeah. We don't need to talk about that, though. Oh, it was okay. great. Fun. California all the way. Way to go, California. Yeah. California. Isn't that a- Uber Bored to death? Band's song? I don't know. Jason Schwartzman. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Was it Coconut Records? Yeah. Yeah. He's had a couple of bands. I didn't recognize it when he called it Bored to Death. Well, that's his new name. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) That's Bored to Death with the haircut. All right, we should get going here. Chuck. Yes. Did you know that President Barack Obama is planning to take over virtually the entire U.S. economy and infrastructure? Uh, No, I did not know that. Yeah. Well, were you Jim Powell, Cato uh, Senior Fellow and author of the book FDR's Folly, Wilson's War, Bully Boy, The Triumph of Liberty? Well, those are other books. Sure. Those are books, not just the book. Yeah. Um, you would have known this already because Jim Powell sent out the alert via the Cato Institute and Forbes magazine, I think, that Barack Obama had created this plan, a, a 10-page blueprint of for seizing control um, of the economy, of things like water, usable water, civil transportation, all forms of energy, all commodities and products, health resources like drugs, biological products, etc. Um, under the auspices, says, <laughs> I think there's an extra <laughs> is in there. Auspice of Executive Order One Three Six Zero Three. Is that the we can't wait thing? It's part of it. Okay. Um, and, and now that you bring it up, the we can't wait thing is basically this idea that, um, Obama's saying, I can't deal with you, Congress, any longer, so I'm just going to start issuing proclamations like that. Sure. So I get the impression from Jim Powell that he, he is against executive orders in general. I can't say that that's necessarily the case because he could be a conservative pundit. And if he is, he may just be against Obama's executive orders. Right, sure. One of the keys to executive orders is that you're cool with them if your guy's in the White House. Yeah. But the moment another guy's in the White House and starts issuing them, oh, like the sky's falling and, and yeah. like Nazism is rising again and it's just bad, you know? Yeah. But it is true. Obama did issue this very sweeping proclamation. Now, this isn't just on a Tuesday. It's supposedly a preparedness plan. It's called the National Defense Resources preparedness executive order. Right. Um, so there's an emergency that has to trigger this. Right. And it doesn't even necessarily, it won't be triggered. But the point is, Obama can issue a, procl- a proclamation like that. And as it stands right now, it is law because it's an executive order. And we're about to talk about those. So this whole mystery 
this whole mystery intro is going to be explained in the next, what, 20, 30 minutes. Stroke of the pen, law of the land. Kind of cool. Uh, Paul, Paul Begala yeah. said that. He was a Clinton advisor. He was, and that pretty much sums up what the, uh, in a broad stroke, what an executive order is. Um, it's a directive. Merriam-Webster defines it. <laughs> it's not true. Whoever wrote this article defines it as a directive. Dave Bruce. Dave Bruce. Good one from Dave Bruce. Yeah, Dave's good. It's uh, fresh too, man. Oh, is it? It's pretty new. Oh, man. he's citing stuff from like March. It is fresh. Wow. Yeah. Uh, directive handed down directly from a president or governor, because this can happen on the state level, mm-hmm. uh, without input from the legislative or judicial branches. And that's basically it. It's like, I'm the president, and for whatever reason, I want to sign something into law and not ask anybody else. Right, and usually the reason why is because either there's an emergency and it, Congress is, say, out of, not in session. Yeah. Um, or Congress would not necessarily agree with it. Yeah, or or just is taking inaction, period. Sure, right. But that's where we get to the ticklish part about executive orders is there is a very clear flow of responsibility in yeah. the in the federal government. Congress is elected to make the laws and the executive branch is there to carry out the laws. That's right. With an executive order, the executive branch is making the law. Yeah, and uh, presidents do this, um, even though the Constitution doesn't say you can. They Which kind makes of, it even more ticklish. Well, yeah, but they sort of like, hide behind the Constitution under the following uh, statements from Article 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, executive power shall be vested in a president of the United States. Okay. So they're saying like, hey, dude, you can't say in the Constitution I've got power. He's got I power. I don't have power. He or she, he or depending she. on when you're listening to this podcast. This could be the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, the president shall be commander-in-chief of the Army and Navy of the United States. He or she could say, well, how am I supposed to do anything as commander-in-chief of the Army and Navy if I can't even sign a law? Right. Well, plus also, you use that um, b- because they use executive orders to direct the movements of the military sometimes. Yeah, well, times of war is when it's heavily used. Okay. Uh, and then finally, he shall take care uh, that the laws be faithfully executed. Obviously, that should be he or she. Well, it is under our ideas. Of Yeah, but we didn't write the Constitution. No. We wrote a Constitution. But Somebody needs to get in there and just do one of those little arrows and write <laughs> yeah. she. Yeah. They should do that. Um, so that's pretty much the long and short of it, uh, and that's why it's allowed to go on since George Washington, since numero uno. Every single president. That's the thing with executive orders. You don't like executive orders? Just wait, because eventually a president that you like is going to start issuing them. Every single president yeah. that we've ever had has issued executive orders. I think George Washington's, um, I think he issued eight total. So it Not started that. out slow. Now we're up, like, presidents issued the thousands. FDR, who had the, you know, the three-term presidency, he issued, like, 3,000-something, like 3,200, 3,600. 3522. 3522. That's a lot. But every single president has issued them. Yeah. uh, I guess in Washington's case, if we want to go over a little history here, uh, in April 1793, almost said 1973, Hmm. that would have been a pretty hip George Washington. That would have been Nixon. Yeah, which was a very hip George Washington. Well, everybody referred to Nixon as like the direct heir of George Washington. (laughs) He was probably, they two were tied for first as our greatest president. Nixon says that at least. Yeah. Um, He, uh, yeah, he instructed uh, officers, federal officers, to uh, prosecute anyone getting in the way of the war with France. He's like, you can't do that. If you're getting in the way, uh, Congress is out of session. 
let me just go ahead and make this a law. That well, that was the war between England and France. He was saying, "Do not get involved." Oh, in what this. I say, U.S. and France? Well, just the war with France. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it was between England and France, and like you know, hey, America is not getting involved, and if you do, go to jail. It's on your head. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then Lincoln followed. Um, Congress is out of session again, so it sounds like it began early on in a more like legitimate form. Yeah, it was also a time where like Congress got to the job by behind a horse. Right. So things took time. Congress isn't here yet. Right, exactly. Yeah. Congress is on the way. But there's a big problem, so, you know. Right. And in Lincoln's case, one of his problems was uh, on the eve of the Civil War, um, these militias were getting out of control. One of them uh, was run by a guy named John Merriman. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know what? Lock that guy up. Well, he's, he's dangerous. Right. He, they were state militias. Well, militias that were supposedly like, well, we're from the Carolinas, so we're the Carolina militia. But yeah. really, they were militias. Sure. Um, generally, Confederate militias were attacking federal troops. And Merriman was like probably the biggest rebel leader at the time. Yeah. So he locked him up, and Merriman's lawyers were like, hey, dude, have you ever heard of habeas corpus? And Lincoln goes, you know what? That's sticky. How can I get around that? Oh, yeah. I'm suspending John Merriman's right to habeas corpus. And I'm Abraham Lincoln, if you haven't noticed. Yeah. Check out the beard. I'm a vampire hunter. I'm Daniel Day-Lewis. Man, I can't wait to see that movie. Yeah, me too. Um, it was funny. The preview came on the other night, and Emily thought it was the uh, Daniel Day-Lewis Spielberg project. And yeah. then it started breaking out into vampire stuff. She's like, what is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> this took a really strange turn. Um which is the idea, I think. Yeah. So he suspended habeas corpus, um, explained it to Congress, and they said, you know what? That's probably a pretty good idea in certain cases, so let's pass a habeas corpus act to allow you to do this. Yeah, which is a big deal. And didn't it, it took years and years before anybody ever went back and repealed it, right? Uh, I don't know. It seemed like it was a we while. We, we talked about it before. In our habeas corpus podcast? Yeah, I can't remember which one it was. Maybe pardons? Presidential Maybe. pardons? That actually, so that was not the first executive order, no. but that is executive order one. Um, oh, really? Yeah, in the 1900s, the State Department started numbering them retroactively, and oh. they went back to Lincoln's habeas corpus. Why didn't they go back to Washington? I don't know. If they knew it was the first one. I don't know. But then I think in then the 60s, 1962, they, these things started being published in the Federal Register, the daily publication of right. new laws and, you know, office goings on sure um around washington and uh now it's like once it's published in the federal register it's law gotcha and they're numbered teddy roosevelt he was big on him he was the first one that really kind of went haywire he was the first one to crack a thousand that's right those roosevelts loved big government (laughs) they did they weren't related though yeah they were were they they were like eighth cousins oh i don't think i knew that yeah wow look at you teaching me Presidential history, it's like my uh, my forte. Is it? No. Okay, because it's certainly not mine. Uh, so, yeah, Teddy Roosevelt was pretty, uh, he wielded his, a heavy stick. Yeah. Um, and then FDR just went berserker in World War One and Two. Yeah. Teddy spoke softly but carried a big stick. Yeah, that's the term. Or was that FDR that said that? I, I didn't mean wielded a, big, a heavy stick was the term. I was just saying, I was making a play on that. No, I know. It was oh, okay. great. But I can't remember if it was Teddy or FDR that said that. I think it was Teddy. Okay. Yeah. Walk walk tall and carry a big stick. Speak softly Speak but carry so- a big <laughs> stick. You're thinking of Joe Don Baker. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Yeah. Where are we now? We are uh, in World War One and World War Two when Congress 
said, you know what, it's okay, FDR, because there's a lot going on. Well, not just that. Between world from World War One, the Depression, and World War Two, it was like it was boogie fever on on executive orders. Yeah, he. I had no idea. On his first day in office, he closed the banks for four days. Yeah, which is actually pretty cool, considering that he platformed on this New Deal, sure. and the first thing he did was issue an executive yeah. order starting the New Deal. That's like hitting the ground running. Yeah. For three terms. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Hats off to him. Agreed. So that was the first of 3,600, 3,552, you said? Uh, yeah. And the reason why FDR was able to issue so many are, well, there's several reasons. Um, he was popular. He had a lot of crises to deal with. Sure. And... Um, well, that's pretty much it. Yeah. So he he was definitely a believer in centralized power, but again, that kind of flies in the face of the the division of power in federal government as sketched out by the Constitution, right? Yes. Um. So not all executive orders are are happy, happily received, or yeah, even grudgingly received. Some are just outright rejected. Well, and some presidents weren't as popular, which might have had a little something to do with that. Exactly. So you've got Roosevelt setting this president, 3552 executive orders. You know, they stand. He was doing things like seizing control of mines, of industries. Yeah. Um, he set up like cartels for um, everything from like garment industries to the theater industry. He uh, he created the Works Projects Administration. Which is like we have 2,500 murals around the country and a bunch of uh, orchestras and a lot of parks and everything ah. because he put people to work in the Depression through government spending, right? Interesting. S- like straight up Keynesian economics. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he did all of this through executive orders. I wonder if the National Park stuff was executive orders from uh, Teddy. I don't I wonder, too. I bet that went through Congress. Maybe. I don't think Teddy liked talking to Congress. He just liked that. Big stick. But the point is, Roosevelt II, FDR, yes. set this huge precedent that made it look like, oh, okay, well, presidents have a lot more power. Apparently, America's cool with this. So Harry Truman comes along and finds out the hard way that that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. Um, he sort of pulled a similar move to FDR as far as wanting to take control of uh, the steel industry um, during the Korean War. Mm-hmm. They, they regulated the price of steel and fixed it at a I guess a cheap rate right. to help out, you know, Uncle Sam and McDonald Douglas and McDonald Douglas, and then uh, that was great. Except for the workers, all of a sudden, uh, weren't getting paid like they normally do. No, because so they said, we're going to go on strike. Exactly. And Truman was like, "Hey, we're in the middle of a war," and they said, "We don't care." And he goes, "Oh yeah, well, let me send in some ringers to see what happens." That's right. And they said, "You know what?" Uh, Talk to these guys, the Federal Mediation and Conciliation Service. Yeah. Maybe you can strike up a bargain. And they went, screw you guys. Right. And they said, all right, we'll talk to these guys, the Federal Wage Stabilization Board. And they went, screw you guys. Yeah. And uh, he went, well, if you're going to go on strike, why don't I just seize control of your factories? On the night before. Yeah. Here's the thing, though. There is a provision in, um, in I guess, federal law called the Taft-Hartley Act. Yeah. Um, that says if there's a big strike that's going to affect like national security, there's like the the nation has interest in a strike not happening. Mm-hmm. The um, the president and or Congress can call 
I think maybe just the president, can uh, call upon the Taft-Hartley Act that and invoke the 60-day cooling-off period, where it's like, no, you have to go to work. You have to. You guys have to go back to the table for 60 days, right? Right, and figure this out, and or give us 60 days to figure get our ducks in a row. He didn't do that. He just seized control, and yeah. that being all combined with the fact that he wasn't very popular, um, it led to this executive order of his being overturned by the Supreme Court. Yeah, it led to the the steel mills basically sued uh, in the famous case Youngstown Sheet and Tube. Yeah. V. Sawyer. The Youngstown ruling. And um, the Supreme Court said, yeah, you know what? You should have done this 60-day cooling off period. That's why it's their dummy. Right. I don't know if they called him dummy. He didn't, but Hugo Black, who was the chief justice at the time, was apparently worried that he defended Truman, so he invited him over for dinner. Interesting. And Truman said, quote, Hugo, I don't care for that law of yours, but by golly, this bourbon is good. (laughs) Did he really say that? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. By golly. I wonder what they were drinking. Bourbon? Yeah, but I wonder which bourbon. I wondered that myself. Yeah. What do you, what do you guess? I don't know. Okay. I, I don't know what they drank back then. Yeah. Bourbon-wise. Um, so uh, Youngstown was huge, though, because it established some standards yeah. as far as the powers uh, of authority that a president, and they kind of broke it down into three, right? Yeah, they didn't just say no. They said, here's some guidelines for you and future presidents. This, as far this as the Supreme mind. Court is concerned. Right. Uh, you have the most authority, Mr. President or Mrs. <laughs> President, when uh, you have the express or implied consent of Congress. And you know what? I think also I feel like if if this thing sticks around, if this digital recording can stick around long enough, maybe we should include gender, gender neutral president as well. Okay. Okay? Okay. Okay. Go ahead. Number two, Mr. Mrs. I or gender-neutral president? Start over with number one. Okay. Just to make sure that there's an inclusion. Number one, Mr. President or Mrs. President or gender-neutral president. Yeah. Uh, you have the most authority when Congress um, has expressed or implied consent. Uh, they've given that to you. Right. They're saying, lead away. We're, yes. we're following you. Number two, you have a little less authority. We'll call it uncertain authority when Congress has not imposed the authority because they're indifferent or they're just not doing anything. Yeah. Uh, and they call it a zone of twilight that yeah. the president takes advantage of. Yeah, it's like Congress is waffling. The president knows what he, she, or whatever um, gender-neutral assignment yeah. that the president's picked wants. And I think, isn't this probably when they sneak him in at the end? It depends. Um, I think it's also more just like you guys had your chance to act. Right. Um, I acted because you missed your opportunity. Right. So sit down and shut up. And Congress basically says, all right, fine. So is that the we can't wait uh, thing? Would that fall under that, you think? Uh, It depends. So I think that it's like the way that this justice put this, that this is how this is the authority, the division, the levels of authority. Yeah. The president has supreme authority to issue an executive order. Whether or not it stands up. Sure. Is is based on the test of time. Because you can repeal it, right? It just takes a little time. Right. Well, there's some different ways to do it. Um. It, the first we just saw, or one, not the first, but one of them we just saw was a clear example of judicial review, yeah. right? That's what the Supreme Court does. They're like a, a supposedly an unbiased, neutral group of referees where the federal or the um, legislative branch or the people say, hey, 
uh, can we get a judgment call on this law? This seems wrong. Right. And then the Supreme Court says yay or nay. And then what they say basically is like the final ruling on a law. Yeah. Okay. Executive orders, since they have the, the, the force of law or the effect of law, um, they're subject to the same scrutiny, judicial review. Well, in Youngstown, the Supreme Court said, Truman, you can't do that. So that's a one way that an executive right. order can be overturned. Another way is Congress can say, you know what, we just really disagree with you and we're going to rewrite the legislation that you're talking about, but it has to be ratified by right. Congress, which means the president has the chance to veto it. Gotcha. So if you have a really angry Congress and a really angry president, yep. really polarized, sure. they may go at it and the president may be able to override this with the veto. That seems it, like that's all we have lately. Yeah, yeah it's very polarized. Terms. So like what Obama's doing now, it's like we can't wait. He's trying to frame it like it's Congress's fault. And then if Congress is feeling froggy, they may they may issue legislation that says it. Right. So there's this one where um, George Bush set up uh, an executive order about um, fetal tissue stem cell banks. Huh. I, I don't remember exactly what it was. Yeah. But the Congress, um, they they basically said. Um, Quote, the provisions of executive order 12806 shall not have any legal effect. And that was it. Wow. But all that, since there's no rules for this, Chuck. Right. There's no, this, this is all interpretation. Bush had the balls is back in Bush's court. So all it is is, is legislative tennis. Yeah. Between exe- the executive branch and the legislative branch. So ping pong. How They're far do you want to take it? Yeah. Ping pong. That's pretty They're too lazy for tennis. And then also, one more thing, the legislative branch, Congress, can just say, well, that's fine. Use your executive order to create this new position. We have appropriations, so we're just not going to give any money to it. See if you uh, can find yeah. somebody who will do that position for Right, because you still got to get the funding if it's yes. something that requires funding. So those are the ways you get around executive orders. Or a, a future president can turn around and revoke it. Yeah, which happens all the time. Yeah. Or pretty much every time a new yeah. president takes office. Yeah. Um, Thank you for that. Of course. Lengthy discourse. By the way, you forgot the, the one uh, court above the Supreme Court. What? The Star Chamber. What is that? <laughs> you never saw that movie? No, what is that? Uh, it was Michael Douglas. It was, it was a secret group of judges that would get together called the Star Chamber that would carry out vigilante justice. <laughs> what movie was that? The Star Chamber. Oh, no, I had not heard <laughs> yeah, that. It was in the, is it, I think it was the 80s. It sounds like 81, 82. Mm, I'd say mid-80s. 83, 84. <laughs> Ghostbusters era. All right. So the final uh, way is the least authority, and the president acts on least authority when he has an executive order that is uh, just incompatible with what Congress wants. Right. Which happens all the time as well. But again, ultimately, how what how powerful does Congress feel? Like, say, Congress really hates that, but the people are really in favor of it. Right. Will Congress act? Who knows? Uh, I've lost a lot of faith in the political system, my friend. Yeah, I think they kind of act on what they want to do and not necessarily what the people want. Yeah. Behind the banner of this is what the people want. That's a pretty 21st century view of American politics, it feels like. Yeah. Sad. Too much money going on. We're going to do one on campaign finance. I said it. We're going to do it. Okay. And that'll really tell you how kind of dirty it is these days. Okay. Um, So let's talk about some uh, controversies. In, in modern day executive orders, right? Uh, for instance, Ronald Reagan. If you were a fan of President Reagan, you don't think it's controversial that he really took hold of the economic situation and stripped a lot of the government regulation that he thought was was uh, 
hampering growth. People that didn't like President Reagan probably didn't think that was such a good move. No, you know what he did? It was pretty smart and broad. He purposefully slowed down um, the federal agencies by making them go through all this like um, cost-benefit analysis, figuring out like how their decisions would, would impact people. To just kind of hamstrung them? Yeah. Interesting. He was like, oh, you, you have it pretty easy, huh? No, you don't. Now you have like 80 extra things that you have to do before you can make oh, really? any, any rules. Yeah. Here's some forms. Exactly. And a number two pencil. Yeah. Interesting. It was kind of ingenious, really, to fight what he considered an entrenched bureaucracy by adding more bureaucracy <laughs> yeah, to it. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Yeah. Adding red tape. Uh, President George W. Bush, um, with a lot of controversy, um, said, NSA, you can wiretap <laughs> private American citizens' telephones in America without them knowing about it. And that wasn't even published. That was a secret one. Yeah. You know? Super secret. Yeah. Only the Star Chamber saw that. That's right. And uh, a lot of uh, people that are fond of civil rights and <laughs> and rights of private citizens said, you know, that's, that's not very nice. That's not a cool thing to do. Yeah. And then his supporters said, dude, the 9-11 hijackers spent yeah. a lot of time in the U.S. Used On the a telephone. lot of phones. Sure. That's a tough one, man. Yeah. You want to be able to thwart those uh, terrorist plots. Yeah. You do. <laughs> that's, a, it, that's a quagmire. It is a quagmire. Um, and then, uh, what else? Obama's, uh, basically on day one, famously said, I'm closing Guantanamo. Yeah. Uh, no more waterboarding or any of this enhanced interrogation stuff. Right. And then, uh, what was the third one? Let's create a task force for (laughs) detention policies. Right. And then he signed another executive order two years later saying, like, okay, Guantanamo can stay open indefinitely. Right. That was probably not a good idea. Apparently, they're sinking, like, a significant amount of money into the facilities. They're adding a soccer or as the um, – Really? Yeah, a football field. Interesting. Um, they are adding programs like life life education programs, Mm -hmm. like balancing your checkbook or or getting a hold of your finances or getting your GED. They're turning it into into what resembles a very much a a state prison, which basically says you're here for a while. Yeah. I guess that part's good. I don't know that I care that these people can play soccer, though. Oh, yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of people who are like, they don't need to play soccer. Yeah. Sure. I don't know, though. Play a little soccer. So, um, <laughs> I would be such a bad president. What, the waffler? Oh, dude, I just waffle over the place. That's a bad idea. Well, maybe it's a good idea. Well, that's funny that you say that because one of the presidents most known for waffling, especially in his first year, um, Bill Clinton, yeah, was also very famous for his executive orders. Apparently, it was like a president would issue executive orders and it was like one of these things and everybody would grumble, but Clinton made an art out of it. He waged a war. Through mm-hmm. executive order? Yeah. Like, you remember the Balkan War? I do. Yeah. You, the U.S. entered it with no um, declaration of war from Congress. As a matter of fact, Congress had that um, before them, and they voted, no, we're not going to declare war. So Clinton just did it himself. He didn't officially declare war, but through an executive order, he for, he told the Air Force to go join NATO airstrikes in the Balkans. Mm-hmm. He um, committed ground troops through executive order to NATO. And he froze the assets of a bunch of Yugoslavian leaders in the U.S., which were like three acts of war that he carried out through executive order. No one um, noticed that stuff, though. 
No, they did. It was huge at the time. Well, we were just too young. And no, not I mean, attention. people noticed, but it wasn't like... When times are great economically, a lot of this stuff is way more apt to slide by, I think. Well, I think also we're looking at it like 10, 15 years on. Yeah, that's true. To where it's like total hindsight. Clinton's like an elder statesman now. He's right, not right. like the sleazy scumbag yeah. that he used to be, or that's his appearance at least. He looks all old now. He does, but he still does that that two oh, yeah. thing. I saw an interview with him like uh-huh. he, that was recorded five days ago, and he's still he's doing still got it. it. Yeah. <laughs> It's thinking, and then he gave like this brilliant answer. Yeah, um, but yeah, he was big on he was big on those things as well. And, and his advisor is the one who said stroke of the pen, law of the land. Right. What were the last minute ones called? The midnight uh... midnight regulations. Yeah. Okay. That was the one that we talked about. I think. With I think so. Habeas corpus. Boy, we we've, we've been around the block at this point. We've done some political stuff. So that's uh, executive orders, huh? Yeah. Look for one coming to a piece of paper near you. Yeah. Especially if Romney wins. I mean, that's like a first day executive order is a, like traditionally now a political way of saying, I am totally different from this guy. Right. And here, here, and here are three examples. Why. Yeah, yeah. You know? And they'll, they'll trumpet that in the, in the uh, campaigns. Yeah, they will. Here's what I'll do right away. Yeah. I declare Kraft cheese awesome. <laughs> so, uh, that's it. Uh, if you want to learn more about, um, executive orders, type executive in or orders the handy search bar at HowStuffWorks.com and that will bring up this pretty cool article. And I said search bar and it's time for listener mail. I'm sorry to do this, Chuck. Uh, I know I just said it's time for listener mail. It's actually time for Plugfest real quick. But this is going to be like the fastest Plugfest ever. You ready? Okay. Um, so we have a horror fiction contest mm-hmm. and we're hoping our listeners will write um, horror fiction that we can read on the Halloween episode. Yep. Go to the blogs at HowStuffWorks.com, find the post, Stuff You Should Know's Horror Fiction Contest, colon, get your official rules right here, read that, and then act accordingly. Yeah, really follow the rules closely, because we want you to, if you've worked hard for this, to uh, be, you know, able to win. Yeah, and and look for other mentions in, like, social media and stuff like that, like Agreed. Facebook and Twitter, but, um, yeah, go check it out and go write us something. It'll That's be right. cool. Um, and then also Comic-Con, right? Yep. We are going to San Diego's uh, Comic-Con this year for the first time ever, and we're pretty excited about it. Yeah. And, Look out, uh, Shamu. That's right. And uh, we are going as uh, Stuff You Should Know with Slash Science Channel people. Yeah. It's exciting. We're doing, we're, we're crossover hybrid people. That's right. Like uh, the Toyota Prius. Exactly. <laughs> we're the pre-I of the podcasting world. Yes. Yeah, so uh, Thursday, July 12th, we will be podcasting live. Um we don't have the time just yet, but we will announce that on Facebook and Twitter. Yeah. And there will be special guests. There will be uh, uh, dancing. There will be singing. There will be gnashing of teeth and wailing. And perhaps even vomiting live on stage. Yeah, by me. That's right. At the very beginning, because right. I won't be able to see straight. I'll be so nervous. Yes. Cool. Uh, okay. That was a quick plug fest. Good yeah, going. not bad. We're getting good at this. We should do it every time. No. Uh, okay, listener mail. Josh, I'm going to call this... Uh, from a, from a uh, pastor to us. Nice. Complimenting us. Oh, good. Not from the usual hate mail. <laughs> uh, hey, guys and Jerry. I'm a United Methodist pastor and started listening to the podcast a few years ago to pass the time on the long ride between the church. Uh, I was ministering in Duke Divinity School where I was finishing up seminary. Uh, learning about things like uh, cannibalism and Delta Force <laughs> really helped break up the constant stream of theology and philosophy I was studying. I bet. Yeah. Uh, I really enjoyed the most recent one on whether or not it was possible to rain frogs. 
a lot of people that I talk to in religious settings that don't shy away from hearing uh, scientific explanations about biblical material. Uh, there are plenty of us out there who love science and aren't afraid of it debunking scripture. It actually excites me to hear those sorts of explanations. Uh, you've probably been referred to a time or two in these uh, in the classes I teach in my current ministry setting. Nice. So he talks about us in class. Nice. A couple of heathens like us. Uh, mainly, I'm writing to thank you for a few things. Uh, first, thanks for handling matters of faith with tact. Um, whether you're talking about voodoo or karma, you always handle the subject matter in a gracious way. See, I like this guy's views. <laughs> I like him a lot. I would argue that we're not always gracious, but I appreciate the compliment. Um, second, I remember back in the brainwashing episode, Chuck said something along the lines of, I'm going to try really hard not to comment about my Baptist upbringing. Uh, pastures and religious people in general can be pushy, Chuck. Uh, your passing comment has been a constant reminder to me to not be that guy. Um, and third, you guys are the ones who introduced me to Kiva, and I now make regular loans and have even gotten some members of the congregation on board. Awesome. It's been uh, great to be a part of it. Keep up good work, Jeff. And Jeff, dude, Pastor Jeff. Pastor Jeff. I would go to your church. Yeah. Thank you for the email. That was awesome. Please keep in touch. We want to know how your um, religious career goes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, if you think Chuck and I are awesome and gracious and uh, we take criticism well and we get things generally right. Say puppies. Yeah. Um, and we do it all without messing up our hair. Yeah. We want to hear from you. Right, Chuck? Yes. We want you to tweet to us immediately. Go compose a tweet and send it to SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash stuff you should know. Or you can send us an email to stuffpodcast at discovery.kizom. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?